All right, so we're going to be jumping into our Anchor Sermon Series. The Anchor Sermon Series is going to be, we're going to be going through a catechism. And so this whole idea of anchoring our lives in the Bible and connecting our lives to Jesus. So today, what we're going to be looking at once we actually, I'm going to go through the history of the catechism, why it's important, uh, why we want to actually uh, go through uh, parts of the catechism. And so today what we're going to be looking at is what is the chief end of man? What are you here for? Because that's the first question on the catechism we're going to use. What are you here for? Why do you exist? So, a super simple question. What is the chief end of man? So, catechism is an exercise in educating our souls um, because in the early church what they realized is that people actually needed training. They needed training in what it is that they were experiencing. And so one of the earliest symbols within Christianity is actually the anchor. And so what you'll see in early Christian art uh, is an anchor. So you see here is an anchor and then it has fish around it and fish are another symbol of Christianity. Um, and so the anchor is kind of in the shape of a cross. And so you see that even in the catacombs in certain places, catacombs is where they put the bodies of people who have died. And so they put a bunch of people in underground. And so you'll see that there are anchors and catacombs. And so this idea of anchoring ourselves, anchoring ourselves in the word of God, anchoring ourselves in Christ. So anchors are a old um, Christian symbol. And so it's tied to this idea in the book of Hebrews um, where Paul says this, um, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. So this idea of, of anchoring ourselves to the word of God, anchoring ourselves to good theology so that we might be able to connect with Christ in a more meaningful way. So what is catechism and how is it relevant for today? So catechism is essentially a set of questions that the early church would have used to say uh, we would get together and I would ask a question and then the, the people who were a part of the catechism or the students would then recite the answer because you guys <clears throat> would have known the answers to these questions because the reality is that back in that day that reading wasn't normal. So most people couldn't read and even this idea of like, mass print paperbacks uh, at this point in time we just have all these books really um, didn't exist in the early church and it wasn't even until 1440 that the Gu Gutenberg invented the printing press so until 1440 um, people were using handwritten manuscripts and there was only a couple of rounds. We didn't have all of these books. We didn't have Bibles just sitting in the front of pews and, and even if they were there, they wouldn't be able to read them because most people were illiterate. Um, and so they would learn through oral instruction. And so I would ask the question, what is the chief end of man? And then because you had been in the class together, then you would recite, well, the chief end of man is, is this. So how did the early church pass on the faith or pass on theology? And it would be catechism. And so another way that they would pass on the faith or good theology was using creeds. Uh, creeds are like short sayings that they would say together. We would have a creed that we would recite to one another. Um, and this is a way to teach the early believers. And so Jews to this day still use creeds. And even Jesus referenced a creed, which we read here earlier, although you might not have recognized it as such. So it's in Deuteronomy. Uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so when you read this in Judaism, this is what is known as the Shema. And the Shema is something the Jews to this day still recite. And so what they do is you can say, bind it on your hand and bind it on your forehead. And so they would read the Shema or they would say the Shema and they would go through these rituals of binding it, trying to bind it to themselves. So the Shema is still something that Jews to this day um, will say in the morning. And so Jesus references the Shema when asked, what is the greatest commandment? to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. And you said the next one is equally important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So this idea of creeds, of these simple sayings to be able to pass on theology, to be able to pass on uh, good Christian doctrine is something that's been happening and still happening um, throughout 2,000 years. So in early Christianity, probably the earliest Christian creed that we have, and you would imagine this is going to be very simple because, again, most people are illiterate, uh, most people can't read, and so this idea that Jesus is Lord is the earliest Christian creed that we have. That very simple, Jesus is Lord. And so that comes from Paul's writings uh, where he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so this idea that Jesus is Lord was something that they would say to one another. It's also found in Romans uh, chapter 10, verses uh, 9 through 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So this idea that they would talk to one another and one of the earliest creeds is Jesus is Lord. Which to us doesn't really sound like a big deal because in many ways it's just not because we can say whatever it is that we want. We have First Amendment rights, uh, we have the freedom of speech, but back in Jesus' day to actually say that Jesus is Lord was a capital offense. And to say that Jesus is Lord was punishable by death. So to the early believers, this was a very big deal because in Rome there was one Lord and his name was Caesar. And to say that anyone else is Lord is a crime against the state. So when we read that, you're like, yeah, Jesus is Lord. But to the early believers, this is a big deal. If they, if they said that, then it was punishable by death. I had read a book about the early church, and one of the things that they would do, they would actually, they knew that Christians wouldn't sacrifice to 
um, the gods, so to Zeus, to Aphrodite, to Poseidon, to all, all the other gods. And so they, what, what they would do is they would set up sacrifices, and they would find out who the Christians were by putting them in a room and telling everyone in the room to sacrifice. And the people that wouldn't sacrifice, well, those were the Christians. And so they gave them the opportunity to sacrifice, and if they said no, then it was punishable by, uh, by death. So this is a big deal. So they would repeat this to one another, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, meaning that Caesar is not Lord. So when Jesus in Mark chapter 12, verse 17, he says this, Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were all amazed at him. They gave him a denarii, denarius, and it had the emblem of Caesar on it. And they said, Should we pay taxes to Caesar? Because that was a big deal for the Jews. They didn't want to pay taxes to Rome uh, because they felt like they were the people of God and to be uh, basically ruled over by the Rome. Romans was uh, ridiculous, and so to pay taxes to them was a big deal. And Jesus says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and give unto God what is God's. And so this, I, to God. And so this idea that Jesus is Lord was the earliest creed that we have from the earliest early Christians. So to this day, the world is still obsessed with power, and, I mean, I think the reason behind this is that power equals control, and control means safety, and if I have power, I'm in control, which means I'm safe. So this idea that we're still obsessed with power, and I want to be in power, because that means I have control, and if I'm in control, then that means that I'm safe. When I say that Jesus is Lord, that means that he's in control, that he is Lord, that he is the absolute. He's the one that is in control. And so saying Jesus is Lord of the cosmos kind of just puts him out there like, Jesus, yeah, you're out there and you're in control of all this. Thank you so much for the rain. But saying Jesus is Lord of my life is a different thing. Can I actually say that Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord of my life, of every aspect of my life. That's very different because as long as he's out there, like, yeah, Jesus is Lord. But Jesus being Lord of my life. And so one of the interesting things about us is that you have the power of choice, that God created autonomous beings, meaning that, um, sorry, that he is not in control of you. He created you, but he created you to have choice. So Jesus doesn't necessarily have to be Lord of your life if you don't choose. He doesn't create you to control you. He gives you autonomy to choose. This quote by Virginia Woolf, it's my choice to choose how to live my life. It's really true. I get to choose how to live my life. I'm in control of my life. I can, if I want to be, be the Lord of my life. So, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Because in terms of like biblical reality, cosmic reality, Jesus is Lord, but he won't lord it over you. He'll allow you to choose. You get to choose. You have freedom to choose. So the early church, very important. Jesus is Lord, which was, again, a capital offense. And at the same time, 
um, was something that they would say to one another, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is in control, Jesus is the Lord of my life. They use creeds to pass along the faith. But a good question for us is, do we still need catechism or creeds? Because in the early church, it's very different, right? Rome was ruling. They had polytheism everywhere. Uh, there were you know, people worshiping God, sacrificing to gods everywhere. I mean, at this point in time, we're so, we're, we've advanced above and beyond that, right? I mean, we don't really have uh, any more Caesars in our life where we actually look at people and we're like, yes, those people are like gods, Cleopatra, she's just a thing of the past. No one really gives time and attention to Cleopatra anymore. We don't have these like rich men ruling over us. I mean, in reality, at this point in time, we can do whatever we want, right? We can buy whatever it is that we want. I can get whatever it is that I want when I want it. I don't have to wait for anything. I can get what I want. I mean, at this point in time, too, do we actually need catechism? I mean, we all read, right? We're in the information age. We can read books endlessly. Last week I had said, the more things change, the more things remain the same. In many ways, what the early church dealt with, it just gets recycled endlessly, presenting itself in new ways. We live in the land of the plenty. I'm the captain of my own ship. In many ways, we're still wrestling with that same simple, earliest creed that was created in Christianity. Is Jesus Lord and King of my life or not? It is a profound and simple question that still is being answered in our lives. And it's not just a confession, it's a way in which we live our life. Jesus is Lord. You're like, please change that slide. <laughs> it's horrible, huh? But it's funny. I mean, we have like libraries and libraries and libraries, and you just think about the amount of time spent. We have endless books. We're as literate a culture that has ever existed on the face of the earth. Fascinating, huh? So this idea of theology. Um, theology is the way in which you believe about God. It's your philosophical understanding of God. I think that it is incredibly important. It is incredibly powerful. Uh, again, theology is what you believe about God. So if you believe, if your theology is that God is angry, how will you live your life? If you think about God like God's angry, 
well, how is that person going to live their life? They're going to live afraid. They're going to think that God's constantly angry at them. Uh, what if your theology is that God is a white male sitting on the clouds? How does that shape your theology? Uh, or how does that shape the way that you live your life? Because if you have this idea that that's who he is, uh, and that's what he does, he's just sitting on top of the clouds somewhere over Shasta County, um, how does that affect the way that you live? If you think that God is constantly waiting to catch you, spying on you all the time and waiting for you to mess up, uh, just, you know, you always have to be perfect. You can't do anything wrong. Um, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, which I um, am not a huge fan of their theology, um, they say that you actually have to go door to door. There's really no option for them. You really break it down with them although they'll try to deny it until you, know, you press them down, that at the end of the day, they actually have to go door to door. That's their theology. They have to do that in order to please God, to make him happy, to have some type of works to show that they actually believe. And so the way in which you theologically believe about God will shape the way that you live. If you believe that God is angry, you will live a particular way. A great example of this is uh, Martin Luther, who was a German doctor, and he created the Protestant Reformation. And so Martin Luther had the theology that he actually had to confess every sin. Martin Luther was known to confess sins. I mean, this is not a joke. Confess sins for six hours straight. Because his theology was telling him that God was this way, and so he had to live this way. And if you've ever watched the movie, it's a fantastic movie. And finally, I think the like, older gentleman that's the abbot, he finally says, enough. Because his theology was making him believe that he had to confess every sin. I mean, that sounds exhausting. I wouldn't want to sit there for six hours while you told me every one of your sins. Did he do this because the Bible said that he had to do this? No. Again, your theology has a profound way of shaping the way that you believe about God, and what you believe about God will absolutely impact the way that you live. So catechisms teach us sound biblical theology. And so what we're going to use throughout this sermon series, so kind of you know, breaking it down like why are we using catechisms, uh, the importance of creeds, the importance of theology, kind of just touching on all of those. What we're going to be using is the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And so the Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, was created by the Church of Scotland, England, and Ireland. And so I thought that this was funny. There's a shorter and a longer one, but I, I, the fact that they literally left this in on the shorter catechism just made me laugh. And if you know me, you know that I think things are funny. And approved in 1648 by the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland to be a directory for catechizing such as are of weaker capacity with the proofs from Scripture. So that's what we're using, because we're weaker of capacity. <laughs> I'm like, why would you leave that in there? There's the longer one and the shorter one. You're like, hey, I want to use the shorter one. <laughs> it literally says... You're weaker of capacity. So anyways, pressing on, Jesus makes us righteous, not uh, the 
what catechism we use. So the, uh, the Westminster Catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism, uses 107 different questions and answers. And so again, you would ask the question, um, and then everyone who is in the catechism would then repeat that. So the reason that I chose the Westminster Catechism is because, uh, to me, in my 23, 24 years of following Christ, the first question and answer has been so formational for me. And I hope that it will be for you as well. Um, I just find it to be very profound. And so the first question in the Westminster Catechism, again, says, what is the chief end of man? And so, again, this is a huge question. What are you here for? Why do you exist? What is your primary purpose? Like, why are you here? What, what, why do you exist? What is your purpose in life? And so here's what it is that they said. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What are your thoughts on that when you read that? We'll take a couple folks. God wants a relationship with us, yeah. What's that? Yeah, everything else on earth is kind of vain. doesn't include any rules that you're supposed to live by. That's, go ahead. It's eternal. Anyone else? could mean a lot of different things. Seems like it's the only important thing. Yeah, so joy is the primary person of man and God is the primary source of that joy. Man's chief end is to glorify God. I mean, this has always stood out to me. I understand the glorify God part. The part that's always thrown me is to enjoy God forever. 
not because I don't intrinsically feel that, but because I have not necessarily seen that demonstrated in and throughout the history of Christianity. Because in many ways, Christianity has been set up as kind of like a killjoy or you, a bunch of can'ts, like what Tony said. There's not a lot of Actually, there's just a couple rules there. Glorify God and enjoy Him. I don't even know if that's a rule, maybe a rule of life. But enjoyment, enjoying Him. I'm meant to enjoy, I'm meant to enjoy God. So again, this idea of the oldest creed, Jesus is Lord. What exactly is Jesus Lord of? What we tend to do is, in the Western world, is break up this idea of like sacred and secular. That church is sacred, worship is sacred, prayer is sacred, evangelism is sacred, Bible study is sacred, missions are sacred. But then that's what God is interested in. But secular education is secular, work, play, arts and entertainment, government, science, all these things are like, God's not necessarily as interested in those things. He's interested in the sacred components of our lives. And so we would call this dualism. But here's the thing, that Jesus doesn't want part of your life. Jesus didn't die for sections of you, parts of you, parts of us. He died for the whole of us. And he wants us to enjoy him. I love educating myself. I enjoy work. Who doesn't enjoy play? Like, how is play secular? So weird. Like, when I play soccer, even though I don't always use Christian terminology, I am enjoying the game. That's worship, man. When I think about the new earth and the new heaven, I know that some of you in here have bad theology and think that there won't be an ocean on the new earth, but there was one on the first earth, so there'll be one on the second. I plan on surfing and playing soccer in the presence of the Lord, man, with my resurrected body that doesn't get tired and stuff, it's cool. Jesus pays for your whole person and he commands devotion in all areas of your life. And so when we think about this idea of Jesus is Lord and the chief end of man is to worship God. I mean, what does it mean to worship him? And what does it mean to enjoy him forever? Jesus calls this out, this, this idea of like total discipleship to him. Uh, Matthew 8, 18 through 21. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds. Birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This idea that Jesus is Lord, worshiping him, giving my full self to him, is, is what it is that he's asking me to do. And in the midst of that, that's where true enjoyment happens. Matthew 12, 46 through 50. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And Jesus replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. 
For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and my mother. So this earliest creed, Jesus is Lord. What exactly is Jesus Lord of in your life? Um, I had heard this story. I tried to find it. Maybe someone knows it, and you can tell me about it later. Um, But I had heard about a couple of things. Well, the first one is Constantine. Constantine was the first uh, Roman emperor to become a Christian. Uh, But it's recorded that Constantine didn't get baptized until the end of his life. He waited until the very end to get baptized. Why? Why? Because this question, Jesus, is Jesus Lord? And, I mean, I give him props that he actually, like, with conviction, is like, no, and I'm going to wait until the end to get baptized, even though I think it's the wrong decision. I had also heard this story, which I couldn't find, but I've heard it several different times, that there was a group, there was an army that was going to get baptized, and what it is that they did is that they, they went into the waters to be baptized, but they all held out their right hands, because they weren't willing to allow the hand or the arm that was going to go into battle to be baptized. They were leaving one part of their body out, to not actually come under control of Jesus. So Jesus being Lord, the chief end of man, man's chief end is to glorify God. Jesus is Lord in my life. He's my everything in all aspects of my life. And to enjoy him forever. Again, so the first part makes sense. Um, Bow down before your maker. But the second part, enjoy him forever, has always, again, stood out to me. Part of the reason that you exist, part of the reason that I exist, is to enjoy God forever. Starting now. Not waiting until later on, but actually to enjoy him now. To enjoy the relationship that we have with him. But again, he's the one that sets the rules. He's the one that says, let the dead bury their own dead. He's the one that says, who's my mother and my brother? My brothers. On his terms, he's Lord. But when we think about it, I think we all understand this idea that to enjoy him forever is something that we all want. And as someone said, he created us for a relationship. He created us for all of this. And so when I think about like him watching us and us being able to enjoy him, it's something that's, again, always stood out to me in the Westminster Catechism. Like, wow, I'm supposed to enjoy God here now my life is meant to be enjoyable with him. That all of us, all of this is created for us. When we think about everything that exists for our pleasure, God must love pleasure. He must enjoy watching us enjoy things. I think about like when you were, you know, you have kids. One of the things that I enjoyed as a father, and I'm sure I'll enjoy it as a grandfather, is you watch your kids play in the backyard. You're just you're really doing nothing. You're not interacting with them in any way. 
And so you're hanging out and your kids are running around. They're pushing each other on little carts or they're swinging on swings. And they're saying like, look, daddy, look, right? Watch me, watch me do this thing. And you're like, you know, you're swinging. And, and they are enjoying themselves just being in your presence. They want you to watch. They want you to participate in all of that. And so when you think about like the earth being this grand playground and all of these things for us to be able to enjoy. Like if you just think about, you've right, the chief end of man is to enjoy. God forever and so just being in his presence when we do these things that he's created for us that are so pleasurable like tacos but it's not a just not a joke that we can enjoy the presence of God while partaking in something that is so enjoyable watch me daddy eat stuff my face with these tacos Sourdough bread with cheese and fresh apple slices. Coffee. Just enjoying coffee. Swimming in cool water on a hot day. I mean, it's just, you know, you get to go up to Whiskey Town and it's hot and you're getting out of the car and you're like, oh my gosh, and then you jump into Whiskey Town Lake and you just feel... What do you feel? Just pure pleasure. Who, cre who creates that? I mean, he created you to be able to feel heat, to be able to feel the cool water all around you. Sunsets. To be able to see when the whole sky turns red and it you know, lights up the underneath of the clouds and it's all these different shades of red and you're like, this is so beautiful that he created that for our enjoyment. And so like little tiny kids that are in the back of the yard and they're saying like, watch daddy, watch daddy, that we get to enjoy that. And in that moment is worship and hopefully we stand in awe and we're like, yes. Friendships, sports, that the way that we reproduce is extremely fun. Not a joke, though, but it's not, it's not a joke if you think about that. It could have been otherwise. Who created that? He did. Chocolate. A good book. All of these things. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I think the person uh, that I think really demonstrates this the most is Eric Liddell. Eric Liddell was a Scottish runner. I think it was, kind of, it was around World War II era. And so how many people have seen the movies Chariots of Fire? How many people have not seen Chariots of Fire? Raise your hand. You're like way missing out. Like big time. Even dun, 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 dun. Da, 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 da. Yeah, that, that music. Um, that's all from Chariots of Fire. It's so good. And it's about this guy. It's a, a couple of people. But it's about Eric Liddell. And Eric Liddell is this Scot a Scottish person. And he and his wife, uh, I think it was Jenny, right? Jenny? Jenny. Was that his, that his sister? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, so Jenny. And they're missionaries to China. And, um, but he's, he's really fast. He's really good at running. 
And so he has this dilemma on whether or not to go be a missionary in China or to stay and compete in the Olympics. And so then they were going to, they knew that he could win. And so I, I don't, I'm not sure, I'm totally getting the story right, but he was supposed to run on a Sunday and he said, I can't run on a Sunday. Like that's the Sabbath. I don't do anything on a Sunday. And they're like, you're going to miss out on events that you could possibly win. He's like, that's no. That's not what is most important for me, right? Jesus is Lord. Like I'm not going to do that. Um, and which is his, his choice. But there's this line in the movie where he, he says this. He says uh, to his sister, because she's like, we need to go back to China. And he's like, Jenny, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. And it always just blew, I just when always kind of just blew my mind. Like, yes, there's work to be done, no doubt. But he made me fast. And when I run, I, I feel his pleasure. Now, obviously, there's going to be people in the room that are like, when I run... I do not feel the Lord's pleasure in my life. So you're like, that has no relevance to me. But that's not the point, right? The point is like, what is, what is your thing? What, what did God make you to do? What did he make you to do? That God made us all for a purpose. And as someone said earlier, that purpose absolutely is to be in relationship with him and that there's something that you do, some purpose. And if, like Eric Liddell going off into China and sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel is a part of all of our lives. But what did he make you to do? What do you find pleasure in? What do you enjoy? See, that's the whole thing, like this idea that what if the things that you enjoyed were the things that you got to do with and for God? Because there's all sorts of things in our lives, and you all know this, that we do that are not enjoyable, and we trudge through, and we're like, get up and go and do this, and this is what I need to do. That's just a part of being a responsible adult. But in terms of worship, what are those things in your life, like Eric Liddell, that he made you to do something, and what do you enjoy what do you enjoy doing with him? What do you enjoy to where you feel the Lord's pleasure in your life and you can turn around and just be like, look, Daddy. Look at, look at what I'm doing. And he's like, yes, son. Yes, daughter. I love it. I love it. So, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We're going to have communion. We do this every Sunday. Communion represents the covenant that 
Jesus gave us in that he allowed his body to be broken for our bodies. Um, that all of us, because of sin, have broken bodies. But Jesus came down with the only body that never experienced sin. But he allowed it to be broken for our broken bodies so that at one point in time, at the resurrection of the dead, we will all have completely healed and whole bodies without sin and enjoy his presence. And that the wine represents the blood of Christ which is poured out for our sins, past, present, future sins, that we, if we are in Christ, he sees us as being sinless. We are now the righteousness of God because of Christ, in Christ. And that we, when he looks at us, he only sees his son. So the way that we do it is if you are a believer in Christ, or if you would like to start believing in Jesus today, then what you do is you come down the center aisle, and you take a piece of the cracker, you dip it into the wine, and as you come down, you, dip, you take the communion elements and then you go around the sides like this, go back into your chairs, and then once everyone has the communion elements, we'll take it together. So if you would like communion, please come down. Come. 
Lord, we thank you that you're good, that you love us, that you created us for the relationship with you. So much so that you were willing to pay the price for that relationship to cleanse us from our sin and stand before you as sinless. Jesus, thank you for coming down and dying on the cross, choosing to have your body broken for us and your blood poured out to be the perfect sacrifice for what we couldn't accomplish so that we could be in this relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. Let's partake. While we stand, if you wanted to talk to me about the preaching class, please come and do that. If you wanted prayer for anything, I'd love to pray for you, Uh, lay hands on you and pray for you. God's doing anything in your life you just really feel like you needed help with, can't find traction in emotionally, spiritually, physically, we'd love to lay hands on you and pray for you and that the Holy Spirit would do something powerful in your life. Um, I'm going to pray a prayer blessing over us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your presence. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the historical church that's gone before us and given us a road map of what it means to follow you. Would you help us, God, to be able to dig into our chief purpose, which is to worship you and to enjoy you? Would you help us to trust you more and more that you would become more and more the Lord of our life? Would you reveal those things to us that are keeping us from trusting you, keeping us from really yielding to you all of our life? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill us, that you would empower us, that you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes and open our ears to everything it is that you have for us. Help us to see you throughout our day. Help us to see our purpose in you. Help us to see what you've made us for. Fill us and empower us to be able to do the works of the kingdom. Thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.